I'm Adam Riley. It's Wednesday, July 2nd, and you're listening to the Scrum Podcast. It's July 4th week, which means Beacon Hills down the Cape. Pop goes the 4th, and of course, the annual Muzzle Awards, spotlighting 10 individuals or institutions who diminish free speech. Here with me is Dan Kennedy, an associate professor of journalism at Northeastern and a panelist on Beat the Press. Dan, how goes it? How are you, Adam? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm also joined by Peter Kadzis, the editor of WGBHnews.org. Hello, Peter. Great to be here, Adam. Dan, I want to start with you. Uh, there are a lot of muzzles to get through, more than we can really get through in uh, you know 15 minutes or so today. So can you identify one or two favorites of yours, examples that you find especially egregious or troubling? Well, you know, some of these are a little lighthearted, but let me go right to what I think might be the most serious one, and that's the one I close with, actually, uh, and that is U.S. Attorney Carmen Ortiz uh, winning the coveted muzzle for the third year in a row. What we're singling her out for this time is that um, the ACLU of Massachusetts earlier this year uh, filed Freedom of Information Act requests with the FBI and with Carmen Ortiz uh, looking for, among other things, um, any documents that had to do with... um, Ibrahim Todashev, who was the friend of Tamerlan Sanayev, who was uh, killed while being interrogated by the FBI and and, uh, and police. Right, and there was thought that he had participated along with Tamerlan Sarnayev in this uh, triple murder in Waltham, and that if that murder had been investigated more effectively, then maybe the bombings, the marathon bombings, could have been prevented. Well, absolutely, and, and, and even short of that, if Todoshev had lived, he would conceivably be by far the most valuable witness uh, on either side in the upcoming trial of Jakar Sarnayev. And the thing is... Carmen Ortiz never even responded to the FOIA request, according to the ACLU. So they have filed suit to uh, to get that information out there. And as we found out from the Boston Globe just recently, uh, the FBI agent who was in charge of that interrogation and who actually shot Ibrahim Todashev uh, was a pretty troubled individual who had uh, who had been investigated by the Oakland Police Department in California during his brief sojourn there and uh, and and took a disability retirement after just four years on the job. You mentioned that uh, Ortiz has been the recipient of three uh, muzzles uh, in consecutive years or three consecutive muzzles. What is your take on her general attitude toward transparency and free speech? Well, I, I don't know that her attitude is any... Uh, less transparent than you would find in a federal prosecutor. They tend not to be transparent. Okay. But, I mean, clearly she is symbolic of the federal government's general attitude toward transparency, which is to be as untransparent as possible at all times. Okay, so we have Dan's uh, favorite or least favorite, as the case may be. Peter, you edited these. Uh, Which one stands out to you? Well, the one that rang my bell, shot my firecracker off, was um, the award to Ed Markey, U.S. Senator Ed Markey. And it's somewhat surprising. I mean, just a bit of background. Ed Markey's always been a tremendous friend to public radio, public television, especially when the right wing has gone after it. But he seemed to have checked common sense at the door. I mean, he has been talking, he was talking in Congress about um, uh, establishing legislation to do a hate speech study. 
he proposed legislation to monitor crimes based on gender, race, religion, ethnicity, and sexual orientation. I mean, for a man who makes his living bloviating on the floor of the U.S. Senate to uh, to start policing the bloviation of the rest of the citizenry is pretty troubling. Peter Katz, let me make sure I understand this correctly. Did he want to ban such speech, or did he simply want to study it and look at how it was playing out online? Th- this and is, if so, if he just wanted to study it, what's wrong with that? Because this is a step towards banning it. You, you know, the, the whole idea of hate speech flies right in the face of the very idea of free expression. We all know what it is when we hear it, but people have a right to say things you may find vile. Um, that's what the Constitution's all about. That's what July 4th is all about. But the Constitution, just to, not to you know, harp on this, but I am curious about, about your take here and Dan's as well. The Constitution doesn't say, and no such speech shall be scrutinized or monitored. I mean, I would think a reasonable argument could be made that if people are trafficking and especially incendiary stuff, you know, Barack Obama is going to come take our guns. Therefore, we should take all necessary measures, including violent measures, to keep him from doing that. What's wrong with keeping tabs on that kind of activity? If you're not banning it, but you're just scrutinizing it, what's the problem there? <laughs> because it's un-American. We have a right to say these things. You don't have the right, as Justice Holmes said, to uh, 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 shout fire in a crowded th- theater. But um, we have a right to free expression, even if other people find it vile. I would point out that uh, Senator Markey is a slow learner on this issue because this is a follow-up to legislation that he uh, that he also sponsored 20 years ago that did something similar. Uh, the other thing I would point out in direct answer to your question, Adam, is that uh, I think it's particularly troublesome when the government decides mm-hmm. to... Um, conduct a study like this. If a private party wanted to do the this Pew, study... If the Pew Foundation, for example. Exactly. Or a university. I mean, that would be completely untrue. an advocacy group like the Southern Poverty Law Center, exactly. for example, which does this all the time. Okay. Uh, Dan, you mentioned that, that some of these are lighthearted and some are more serious. Uh, I'd like you and Peter both to pick out maybe a more summary July 4thy example of, uh, of one that you find, espe- you know, I shouldn't say especially troubling, but one you find noteworthy. Well, here's a slightly lighter uh, recipient, and, and that would be uh, Andre Ravenel, who is the uh, superintendent of schools in Fitchburg, who found out earlier this year that a special ed teacher's aide named uh, Caitlin Pearson was working on her own time as a model and she poses, um, I mean, she poses partially nude for publications such as Models Mania. Uh, and what he did was uh, he suspended her and uh, said, well, you know, what was, let me look for his quote here. This was what he told the Sentinel and Enterprise of Fitchburg. The only comment I would make is we would be committed to take action on anything that we're knowledgeable of that would pose any concern of someone working with students. Well, I mean, of course it was absolutely absurd, but it it made it into the Daily Mail in Britain with lots of pictures. Uh, And after a short time, she was returned to her job, of course, because she'd done nothing wrong. Peter Kazis? Well, I'm with you that she had done nothing wrong. Being a lingerie model, an underwear model, is not against the law. So saith the, what, 50-something men in the... You're kind. Um, what's an interesting dynamic here is that public officials are often better off acting 
than not doing anything. Someone obviously complained to him. If he hadn't done something, um, he probably might have been pilloried. It's one thing. Then he was, of course, pilloried by free speech people. And actually, the the general public seemed to sort of chuckle this one away. But um, how does a public official you know, keep their grounding on an issue like Peter this. Peter Kansas and Dan Kennedy, let me ask you a little more about the principle at work here and why you are sure that he overreached. I remember seeing the pictures that, that she posed for at Disclosure. I'm a 40-something guy talking about this case, so I come at it from my own perspective. But um, <laughs> that being said, uh, the pictures weren't especially objectionable. You know, you can see stuff like what she was doing uh, in the grocery store on any given day. But let's say, hypothetically, that instead of posing in partial undress, she had been acting in hardcore pornography and that the school administration learned that she was acting in films that perhaps contained content that was even more objectionable to parents or members of the general public, and that on the basis of that, the principal said, no, she can't do this while at the same time she's educating kids. Would that have been an egregious violation of her uh, free speech rights as well? Well, you know, Adam, you're, you're hitting me with a hypothetical and asking for an instant reaction. And, uh, yeah, we're having a chat. Uh, it's a podcast, no, I know, man. I know. Um, well, you, just because you had mentioned that she did this in her own free time. Okay, so here's, does someone here's, in her role have the right to do anything in their own free time or only certain things up to a point? I, I think that they have a right to do anything that's legal in their own free time. And here's the way I would answer that. I would say that um, the school system would have no right to take any action unless it did become a distraction. If it became that, you know, all the kids were mocking her and and people were picketing the schools and that sort of thing, uh, then I guess maybe some sort of action would be appropriate. But absent that sort of thing, I think anything legal is fine. Uh, I'm Adam Riley, reporter at uh, WGBH, talking with Dan Kennedy and Peter Kadzis about the Muzzle Awards, which I should note you can find on our website at WGBHnews.org. Peter Kadzis, do you agree with Dan's take on what uh, an individual uh, can and cannot do in their free time? Essentially, yes. Essentially, yes. I mean, I could... If this became an issue, I could see all over the country um, school boards perhaps putting language in a contract that like if you didn't report clause or something. something like that. But hypotheticals are awfully dicey to deal with. So you guys hate my hypothetical question. That's yes, fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we just hate hypotheticals. We only have a couple more minutes here. So I wanted to ask Dan and Peter, you guys have both been working on these for a long time, going back to when did they start at the Boston Phoenix? 1998. 1998. Okay. Do you see different uh, sort of big picture trends at work here that were not at work in 1998? Uh, well, when you say 1998, yeah, I would say so, but I would say that there have been broader trends at work really ever since we got into the post-9-11 era, and that is first under George W. Bush and sadly continuing under Barack Obama, uh, we have been moving through a period of tremendous repression at the federal level, tremendous contempt for the First Amendment. And, you know, you could go back through all the things that have happened over the years, but the context that I try to offer in this year's awards is New York Times reporter James Risen, who uh, is facing jail for refusing to identify his source for uh, some reporting that he did on the CIA 
uh, during the Bush years, kind of uniting the Bush and Obama administrations here, where the Obama administration may send him to jail for uh, for for uh, reporting that he did during the Bush era. Now, Risen does not have a constitutional right to protect his source. That's clear. However, it seems to me that if if President Obama and Attorney General Eric Holder uh, had the proper level of respect and understanding for the role of a free press in a democratic society, they simply would not press this case. They would say, you know what? You were serving the public interest. We're going to drop the matter. Peter, yeah, Kansas I, context. Well, I, I, I see a paradox here. On the, you have the liberal slash progressive um, Obama White House acting as if they were George Bush Republicans in, in the case of Mr. Risen. And then you have the... Um, uh, died in the wool red state Supreme Court majority vigorously upholding um, the First Amendment in in the most recent decision, not really covered in detail in the muzzles about the um, the exclusionary zone around abortion clinics. But then at the same time, to make the paradox more paradoxical, it's worth mentioning that the Supreme Court remains the beneficiary of a buffer zone of its own. That's right. The listeners should know that. Uh, Basically, protesters have to stay way, way back. But you have this Supreme Court um, also that damages free speech by um, eliminating all campaign finance regulations. You see that as damaging to free speech? Um, Because I I know some people would disagree. I know. I would disagree. Dan Dan would disagree because I think what it does is we, we will find ultimately it allows people with the most money to buy the message they want. Dan, real quick, why do you disagree with that? Well, I I mean, you know, I think that ultimately uh, speech and money can very well be equated. I mean, if you have the the money to get your message out more effectively than someone without money, uh, I think that the First Amendment to some extent says that that is absolutely all right. And I would add that, you know, there are certain aspects of the First Amendment that may not be compatible with the type of really good reformist government that we would like to see. But we have a First Amendment in this country, and we have to live with it, and we have to respect it. Uh, This is maybe a little too esoteric, but just really quickly before we go out, you were equating speech and money. The First Amendment, of course, does not identify the unfettered spending of money as a guaranteed right. When did that connection first get made, that the spending of money is tantamount to speech? Well, you know, I mean, you're you're getting into some, some deep... Um, I, I mean, I guess I would say that nobody thought that they were not equated until laws came into effect, a lot of it during the Nixon or in the post-Nixon hmm. era, trying to crack down on campaign finance. I don't think anybody had really thought that that was an issue before that. And gradually, the court has come to see that that... Um, that, that that's problematic. See, m- my objection to the Citizens United decision um, is less the end result, it's the way they got there. The very idea, which is rooted in American jurisprudence, I know, a 19th century idea, that a corporation is a person. Um, I believe an individual should be able to spend as much money as they want for anything. I don't believe a corporation or a union should. And, Are, and I may agree with you on that. Okay, we will leave it there. That's going to do it for the Scrum Podcast this week. Thank you for joining me, Dan Kennedy and Peter Kazis. It was a real pleasure. This is where you tell me that the pleasure was yours. Thank you, Adam. You were wonderful. <laughs> good, good. It was great, Adam. <laughs> All right, glad to hear that. Who would you nominate for a Muzzle Award? Let us know on our website, wgbhnews.org, where you can also check out the full list of muzzles. 
You can now officially subscribe to the Scrum Podcast in iTunes, and you can find the Scrum on the web at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. I'm Adam Riley. Our engineer is John Parker, and our producer is Abby Ruzica. The Scrum is a production of WGBH. WGBH.